Welcome to Mothering, a podcast that explores Indian mothering through true stories. I am Veena Hari, a mental health professional, a feminist, a mother, and founder of Bhavati Foundation, a not-for-profit that works on reproductive mental health. There are so many things I wish someone told me before I became a mother. But the true mothering stories of Indian women are rare and hard to find. This podcast hopes to bring these stories together. We ask some uncomfortable questions about the way things are around mothering today and find some unexpected answers to the rich and varied lived experiences of our guests. So grab a steaming cup of your favorite beverage and get comfortable for this heart-to-heart to find all joy and some tears in these true stories. I hope you find the story you need to hear. What if motherhood is not a blessing, but a reminder of the violence that was inflicted on you? Welcome to the third episode of the Mothering Podcast, Mothering and Violence. In 2021, in the thick of the global pandemic, domestic violence complaints to the National Commission of Women reached a 21-year high. In India, 19% women report experiencing domestic violence of some form or the other. In today's episode, we talk about this intersection of motherhood and violence and explore what that looks like. Our guest today, Aarti Chandrasekhar, is a mental health practitioner who works with survivors of gender-based violence and one of the most important feminist influences for me in my early 20s. Aarti is such an inspiration, a personified lesson on being unapologetic about who you are. Over the course of our conversation, we talk about first dates as a space to engage on feminism, We talk about her child-free-by-choice lifestyle and how being married interplays with that. Aarti takes us through what is the feminist way to intervene when there has been domestic violence and shares how she tactfully navigates working with government systems while keeping a feminist approach. I have worked with survivors of violence too and one question that I'm often asked is, how do you keep working on this difficult issue? And Aarti sums it up beautifully. The survivors haven't given up, so how can we? I hope you enjoy this conversation and find as much light in it as I did. Hello, hi Aarti, welcome to our podcast and thank you so much for being here with us today. Such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Veena. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. I think I'm seeing your face after easily three years. (laughs) Virtually that too. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it feels like, like you said, it feels like picking up right where we left off. And uh, that's absolutely what being friends with you has been like. Okay, so I'm going to do a formal introduction of you. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about how we met. And uh, maybe you can add into that story as well. Uh, so, uh, Aarti, who's with us today, is somebody who's a mental health practitioner. And she's been working in the area of uh, violence for a long time. Uh, she's with mul- worked with multiple leading organizations in India and uh, has also written a publication on uh, feminist domestic violence interventions in India. And that's something that we're going to have a chance to talk about a little bit today. Uh, she beautifully melds feminist practices with uh, mental health as well as uh, issues of domestic violence. And uh, even when I met her many, many, many years ago, I, can't, I don't even remember how long ago, uh, we were both uh, working <laughs> in a school uh, as counselors, 
and uh, immediately the vibe I had from her was like one of an older sister for some reason and someone who I looked up to. Uh, and we had many, many interesting chats and uh, yeah, she was a beautiful support system even then and even now she's my go-to person with some things, uh, you know, and in the most simple ways, unassumingly, she will ask a question that would completely change your point of view and you'll be like, whoa, did not see that coming and that is something that I always, you know, uh, value extremely very much about Aarti. So thank you so much for obliging me and being a guest on my podcast. Thank you, Veena. I'm so proud with what you're uh, embarking on this entire journey that you set yourself to. I'm looking, I'm happy to be a part of it. And thanks for having me as a partner in it. Yes. Okay. So, I'm very excited. Yeah, same here. And I know we've, we've had some uh, technical glitches and which is why we've kind of, you know, uh, been kind of anticipating starting the whole thing. So let's hope that... Uh, we get a chance to, you know, get to know you a little better. And I'm really looking, I know we had like a kind of small rehearsal, but I want to, I'm more eager to hear about what you have to say more than even, you know, having it recorded and having, sharing it, of course. But yeah, so let's just get uh, started on it. So primarily today, I think we are talking about two things. We're talking about uh, your own personal journey, uh, basically motherhood, as well as uh, your work and basically your understanding about motherhood through your work which is basically focused on gender-based violence and how that intersects with motherhood, right? So those are the two yeah. main things that we want to be talking about today. So if it's okay with you, let's just maybe begin with what has been your earliest understanding of motherhood and what did it mean to you and what did the word mother bring to your mind? Motherhood, uh, I think, is a lot to do with uh, caring and um, that's how I see it and a specific bond with the child although I'll say through experience that it's not in all cases also we know that as well uh, earliest childhood uh, when we go back and I mean if I go back and look at motherhood I think it's to do with playing with dolls and seeing the doll as a baby caring for it all of that and also being around other babies who were much younger literally babies and then of uh, being the caregiver for that baby for that very small amount of time just a few minutes but acting in that role and being very excited about it absolutely yeah that sounds i think that i can relate to that so much because it's been so much of you know uh, and i think there was something very lovely i read about it where it's such a part of our conditioning right it's such a and it's so rewarded so even you're playing with it you know you have elders around us go oh so sweet yeah. look at you, you know? and it's so reinforcing because you feel like you're doing something so right and so uh, lovely you know yeah Absolutely. yeah and even while being with a younger child in um, later years say adolescence uh, this entire thing of people saying, oh, you take such good care of babies. Oh, babies are so comfortable around you. Uh, maybe you should also be a mother very quickly so that you don't lose that part. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I agree to that. I can add a few comments to that. Oh, you'd make such a lovely mom. Uh, and, you know, you have such a natural affinity yeah. for uh, children. And it's just so reinforced and practiced. Yeah. And it's actually that practice which makes you more and more comfortable. Yeah. with children yeah. right absolutely yeah that's so true and uh, let me ask you the obvious question do you identify yourself as a feminist uh, what's your relationship like with the people 
Yeah, I absolutely identify myself as a feminist. I think in terms of values, the way I live, uh, and it translates into my work as well. The entire work is feminist-based approach. And I don't see any problem with identifying as a feminist as well. You know, sometimes it's seen as you're too feminist. And I think feminism is something that is a way of life. I can't have it separate at workplace and then say in my personal life, I will be someone else. I don't think that applies at all. And I've seen my, myself also evolve as I have gone deeper and deeper into the work. So it becomes, it's a blurred, I mean, there's no line between the two. It is blurred because work makes you think and so does your personal decision make you influence the work that you do. So it's been like that for me. Absolutely, I agree. And that's wonderfully put because, you know, even with the label, there's so much of problems, right? I have a nephew who asks me why you are feminazi. <laughs> okay. And yeah, it is. Yeah. Right? And it's yeah. Right, and when we when we go ahead and ask some questions, understandably he has the same beliefs, but he sh- abhors the label as if it's like you know the plague. Don't call me that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There should be girls in my class. We should all mm-hmm. be you know studying and ha- getting the same opportunities, etc. But don't call me that thing. You know, so that's uh, the reason why I kind of also am interested to know how do people navigate uh, the negative reaction that comes from saying that you're a feminist very obviously you know uh, at least that's been my experience sometimes when we, I use that word there is like oh you know uh, it's seen as something yeah very out there I think feminism to me you know like you said the example that you just gave that uh, you may actually be practicing it without knowing that you're a feminist and the other way around where you may be calling yourself a feminist but doing things that are absolutely against the principles or beliefs around feminism so for me it's been I probably was I did believe in a lot of things before I knew the term feminism or I understood it and the more I understood it the more I felt I could relate to it and practice it and make it a part of my life as far as people are concerned Vina, I think um, I don't need to tell people what I identify as and I think they get a sense of who I am Uh, whether or not I say I am a feminist. So while I uh, identify myself as a feminist and I have no qualms about saying that, uh, it's up to people how they take it. Or um, I would love to, I love engaging with people on it. So if they have questions, I would love to engage on it. At least they want to hear you out. And I think that's part of the change. Right, and that is something I've always admired about you, Aarti, this absolute uh, need to not explain yeah. yourself. And I think we've talked about this a couple of times before that it's so hard because sometimes, at least I can speak uh, how it works for me, when I, I see someone's reaction and I know that they're thinking a certain thing, I automatically feel like I now need to explain and justify my stand and the reason why I use it. So there is a lot of restraint in your approach. There is a lot of, you know, uh, also self-assurance right so there is no need to kind of explain and I really admire that I think we will go ahead and talk a little bit more about how we practice that um, the other thing uh, that I believe about the label and you know I want to kind of bring into the conversation is that we are in a time where uh, feminism is in vogue in many ways right so 
and hence it's also literally become a first date question in many ways i had a friend i have a friend who's you know uh, unfortunately in the dating scene currently and she asked me this that you know see hey you're a feminist so if someone asks you why feminism and why not gender equality what do you respond to that <laughs> you know so these are the it's literally those conversations yeah these are first date getting to know you conversations so that's where i i always feel like you know uh, there is a need to almost now declare yourself which camp are you <laughs> in you know So how would you respond to maybe a question like that? I think it's good that it's come into conversation and that to dating conversations uh and another space to engage. Why aren't you in the gender equality and feminist camp and why can't men and um, others or people of all genders be feminists? I would engage on that as well. So why does power Absolutely. have to come into every relationship and why can't there be equality? absolutely absolutely so i think again you know like for me this question was why is it like you said binary why is it either gender equality or feminism uh, you know and again it's it's so much about the semantics like the word you're using and what's it's gotten kind of associated with so yeah absolutely okay so then shifting to the next kind of uh, related thing which is what are your feelings about becoming a mother uh, you know would you have space to question the need to become a mother or to have a child how was that journey like for you i don't think it's been um, such a path breaking journey or anything for me um did i have the space to think about it yes and i continue to have the space nothing stops me from thinking about it and today with assisted reproductive technology you can be a single woman and still have it i think it's social pressure that works more than the science of it um of course money and everything does play a role um but um yeah i do call myself child free by choice uh a lot of women believe that they are mothers by choice but i could question that too isn't it because there's so much pressure to be a mother so is it really an informed decision or is it is it really a choice in that sense having said i think choice itself is never free of other influencing factors isn't it it's based on where you are currently different factors influencing your decisions in that sense yes it's a choice and uh, i say it's not a path breaking journey because once you've decided i mean you're constantly deciding about so many things in your life and this is just another decision so i wouldn't glorify it um, just as i wouldn't glorify motherhood as well why can't we have a middle path on it what's the big deal about it and it's probably the first time i'm actually having this full fledged conversation about this child free life absolutely absolutely i realized that i think when we were also planning for uh, this entire interview and i realized that you know uh, i think that was the most beautiful thing and the way you put it right so it was not a single moment where you sit down and you're like now this is the path i'm going to down on and you know uh, i found that really very relatable and i could understand you know how it's it's literally not one choice but many small choices over a long period of time that contribute to being a certain uh, of a certain lifestyle there's also a lot again it's so much about what's in trend and what's being talked about uh, you know and how it's being seen so yeah i mean uh, would you like to share some of your the process of it was how your decision was received 
uh, any responses like you said i've not had a sit down with anybody to say that this is how life is going to pan out i think it's people also tiptoe around this aspect because they understand it's sensitive and probably they have heard responses like why and uh, it's also between me and my partner to decide and it's my decision and i've thought through it so i'm i'm fine with that decision we are fine i mean partner and i are fine with the decision so this is how we are going to go ahead and uh, yeah of course initial years of marriage people do ask and now it's the other way you know because it's been 13 years 14 years they they the first question is oh you're married how long have you been married and then the assumption that you have children and then you know the curiosity around oh but why probably she has a problem it goes into that space and you can see it going into that space and there are some states i've lived in many states cities across and um, i can say that one of the cities it was so taken for granted that you if you don't have a child it means you are going through some issue that the next question after have you had children would be uh, have you seen a doctor about it and this could be some random acquaintance on the road asking you this question so it's constantly reminding you of the fact that you don't make a big deal about it but everybody around is right and that is so relevant right because like you said it's different across different cities and i, I mean if you're comfortable sharing i'd love to know which city that is and you know kind of looking because i've been all of my life in mumbai and uh, i think there is there is a certain kind of uh, ease that comes with that uh, of you know literally yeah. your neighbors not giving too much of a you know <laughs> concern about what you're doing yeah. not too much there are we have it's accepting in that sense uh, i mean they want to know but, but they yeah. know it's not their uh, business to understand that uh, response as well i try to do yeah and i think there is a thin line because you can say it's acceptance maybe i'm a cynic i think it's indifference i think it's literally as much as i mean as long as you're not in my way as long as you know you don't alter my life i don't care what you're doing yeah. you know and i'm not sure how that is because again i believe a lot in the value of community generally as you know uh, something to and that can be not necessarily a good thing so no one is bothering me is not necessarily a good state of affairs for me honestly yeah not always not always yeah you see yet you know uh, because because of uh, this could be one of the factors a lot of people like coming into mumbai also because it's like let me live my life and I, let me live it the way i want to to the extent that uh, in another city that i was traveling in they said uh, they asked about me and whether i have children etc and then the next thing was you know it seems to be a trend in bombay <laughs> always amazed at these generalizations you know your generation that's my other favorite okay yeah people from your generation these days you know and then yeah obviously city uh, i think there's also something to do with uh, there is some judgment i don't know if you had it but also having a mixed marriage in the sense of you know uh, marriage of two people from different communities uh you know whether it does feel like a little bit of a reset of sorts there are lesser things followed because there are two ways to do things so you know yeah yeah and you may choose neither <laughs> yeah you don't know is this neither you know so uh it, it does sound like you know very very ambedkar idea but yeah intercaste marriages has a solution to you know all of these practices but absolutely i, I think it does play out a little bit there is 
lesser pressure and uh, i mean i do know i am guilty of this too and i know friends who are as well just to say that oh i'm sorry i didn't know about this thing because i'm not from the same community you know that's the easier kind of way to deal with it but yeah so would you say being married increases the pressure to have children or do you think it's like you know does it have a relationship at all i think it does because in society you are getting married so that you can have children and also while thankfully law recognizes uh, i mean that is very progressive that it recognizes living relationships yet i think a lot of couples are forced to get into the institution of marriage when there is a pregnancy or when they are planning to have children even though rights etc are um, recognized of the child from that living relationship also but uh, we not i mean there is that lag between what the law is saying and what we are practicing so in that sense yeah marriage does increase the pressure that, that expectation comes in when you say you are married it doesn't come in when you are single or in a living absolutely when you're single there's a whole other set of problems that people yeah also. absolutely it's not devoid of problems which is why i feel you know there is problem in everything right so it's not one or absolutely. the other marriage is not the solution yeah, and that- like and it is often marketed as a solution right yeah. and like i always say even if you're married like i met the it, it so happens to be that i met the level of married and one kid so then there is still always yeah. the question of the second yeah. you know i mean that's all and if the Why first is a daughter then there would be that pressure to have another just so you can have a son so it's Absolutely. never ending. i read about i read about a certain kind of childlessness which is uh, having only daughters and in india it's characterized as a separate kind of childlessness and so the pity that is evoked into women who are childless the a woman who has only daughters has a special kind of pity sympathy evoked that oh she has daughters uh-huh. so, so they are what they are also seen so as childless it's a separate variety of childless it's like oh you don't have a son hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. i think so, yeah you know like you mentioned that. earlier on vocabulary changes evolves so there was always sun preference and this pity or um, sense of looking down at women who have daughters and now they've begun to categorize it like that also so another thing uh, that has often come up about being married is that uh, there was a very interesting i think it was a reddit thread that i was reading about uh, if you marry someone there is an implied consent to have children so there was an individual who was upset because his wife refused to have children and there was so much support that if she married you it is given that she will be having children with you and it was really interesting for me to read and i realized that of course this is related to india being a very pronatalist culture uh, the solution for most things is marriage children <laughs> everything will sort itself out so uh, has this do you feel this is kind of translated into your work and how has that been like navigating your personal identity at work has it has that ever been an issue no it's not been an issue at work at all if anything like i said each feeds into the other and i'm also evolving with the work meeting so many people survivors of violence their narratives um that camp bit was interesting because yes it's true that people do believe that uh, if you get into marriage you have consented because the next step after marriage is definitely why are you getting into a marriage if you don't want to have children that's how it's seen right but um, 
I think this also brings up the importance of communication before or when relationships are getting arranged, uh, be it in a self-arranged marriage or in um, any marriage, any relationship that you're getting into. I think these conversations are important. But the problem is that there's so much stigma around talking about all of this also. There are so many things that are left unsaid, which then crop up as soon as you enter into the relationship, then it gets difficult to sort it out. And especially women where they don't have much of a say. I mean, it's expected that they would do whatever the husband wants or whatever their partner wants. So I, I think it's time that we start talking about it. We allow for space to have these conversations. Right. And how do, would you navigate when, you know, someone is at work is asking you something that you find intrusive or that you find is nothing to do or little to do with uh, the work that you do? In terms of colleagues? In terms of colleagues, somebody you work with, what if they ask you about your personal situation? Has that come up and how do you navigate that? Uh, I think they do. I mean, everybody likes to know about who you live with, you know, the way we have conversations and um, relationship, things like that. These kind of conversations take place. Nothing specific about having or not having children. No, that kind of intrusion I don't find. In work with survivors, anyway, I mean, if we talk of direct interventions, yes, yeah, sometimes women do want to know where do you come from and what's your background. But I think we're also, as part of counseling principles, anyway, you would have a certain boundary. And uh, with uh, when you apply feminist principles, you also understand that your position is different from um, each individual's position is different and your context is so different. So it's anyway not about comparison. Uh, and I would rather, I'm here to listen to her narrative mm. rather than making it about me. So I would rather not make it about me. It's not about me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. And in terms of, you know, the messaging that we get from society, is there any sense of, because, uh, one of the most frequent responses to not having or having a kid is, you know, uh, generally, oh, you, you're missing out or, you know, there is this, uh, you know, some some of some people I know also respond as absolute bewilderment. Like, how do you live? <laughs> you know, how, how do you? It, yeah, this, what is life without a child? Yeah. yeah, like, what do you wake up in the morning for and what do you kind of, you know, do? There yeah, is like, a, there's no purpose of life. Yeah, so do you do you get that sense sometimes? Do you how do you you know you experience that FOMO of a sort? Uh, I don't experience it. Uh, people experience it for me, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> to me, see, like I said, it's uh, it's one of the decisions in my life amid so many other things, and once you have. Um, you're shaping your life as you go along. I mean, at least I'm shaping. I mean, isn't it? That's how we move along. And some sometimes life throws you surprises. And then you're again navigating through that. There's enough and plenty to work around and think about. And uh, so I'm not waking up constantly or it's not constantly in my mind that, oh, I don't have children. What is life going to be like? It doesn't cross my mind because I've made it, made up my mind. And now I'm working towards, okay, how do I want to live my life? And this is how I would like to live it. And this is what I aspire for and um, live it like that, or at least try to live it like that. 
and take life as it comes and i think the problem is when you know we give too much importance to a certain identity uh, we have multiple roles mm-hmm. that we are playing which are anyway gendered in that you know motherhood has all this importance so a woman's um she's almost glorified for connecting herself entirely with the child only uh, like everything else becomes secondary once a child comes in and i meet enough women who actually want some space for themselves but they don't get it and it's politically incorrect so to speak to say that they want time for themselves as though it's selfish to do that but it's not isn't it i mean if you don't give yourself time and you don't have time to think about who you are what you want all that translates into other relationships as well so then is that really selfish the way society views it is it really selfish or is it just taking time for yourself which should be absolutely fine men get a lot of time for themselves oh yes <laughs> and there's so much guilt around it as well right like yeah. you said it's politically incorrect yeah, to yeah. for it but uh, and this is something that i personally am guilty of as a mom you know uh, any time uh, away from my child that is not work you have to have a solid reason it- for some even work could be how could you be giving so much time to work your child is more important for some it is just going out to have some fun could be ridden with guilt because how can you be doing that when you have a child fun is the hardest yeah yeah fun is the hardest <laughs> and they almost make you feel like your child is a liability or what that you can't have your own individual identity i think uh, that's a good role model for the child also right the child is seeing that you need your own time and exactly. you are who you are right and you know there is and it is so i mean there's so many things uh, related to this but absolutely for me it i struggle with anything to do with fun uh, you know and there is this constant ache it's a pull you know that uh, and there's something very interesting i read where sometimes it's very hard to even tell like you said you know the questioning of like the, the way being child free is questioned is being a mother questioned as much is it an informed choice and i think so much of that is because yeah. it's so deeply conditioned right even as somebody who's cognitively aware at an emotional level uh, you know like that idea that we we've formed ourselves to fit a certain yeah, yeah. society right so which of it is internal which of it is external it's yeah so like they talk of motherhood up. pangs and if you don't have it now biological clock is ticking all of that yeah Yeah, yeah. So the biological clock is uh, not real. That we we realized, I think, in the first episode. Someone checked that with us. That it's not a real thing, uh, and it's you know, one of those like there is a boo who will come and get you <laughs> kind of a thing for women, essentially. Uh, but yeah, uh, the other uh, part of this, or you know, like we're talking about these multiple identities that exist and how it plays out in each and every. Uh, I'm also curious about how your religious identity plays into this entire scenario and I'll give you a little bit of context to it that in many religions uh there is almost it's, it's a religious duty to procreate uh right and uh, often a lot of the things that you hear also from um religious leaders have to be are around the lines of women must do their duty and produce x number of children which they decide by the way uh either it's two sometimes when they feel there's a shortage is four <laughs> you know it's like you have to do your duty and that's your duty so how do you what is your views on you know this intermingling of religion duty uh, you know and uh, 
how you hold one is i think it's this is all part of organized religion and there's a lot of politics to that as well there is religion any religion talks of being it's more in terms of being um, a good human being i don't know how good would be defined there but it's talking about being true to yourself and be it any religion so i would go with that aspect rather than the organized religion and these leaders who want to play politics and make everything communal and um, i see and even constitutionally speaking i'd rather be a good citizen in that sense <laughs> and be a good person not violating other people's rights and respecting rights i i would view it from that point of view spiritually religiously and uh, from a human rights point of view right right absolutely yeah, absolutely uh makes sense now kind of transitioning a little bit into uh, your experience on the field and the work that you've been doing you know before probably we go into that could you tell us for everyone listening also to kind of understand what is the context of the work you do for a layman who's probably not from you know a mental health field or the development sector I have been uh, engaging with survivors of violence, um, gender-based violence. Although we do see more women approaching the spaces, that's simply because we need to make the spaces more accessible. Also, um, that's why I say gender-based violence, and um, using a feminist lens, engaging with state systems, uh, because ultimately it is states that have to be. When I say state, I mean the systems like the police, hospitals, courts. these are institutions and systems that need to that are accountable to citizens and it's not enough to sit back and say oh you know they're not working and have this helpless attitude towards it it's more important to make them work and uh, it's been uh, my entire work has been around that making systems work and respond to survivors of violence um, through a feminist lens and that's fascinating so there are two parts of this i want uh, to kind of you know talk a little bit more about one is of course what does a feminist intervention look like to if we have to really break it down to understand what is an intervention or what is a non feminist intervention what does a feminist intervention look like so what is the you know way it plays out if we look within the context of violence itself um women may have different expectations right but a feminist interventionist would look at or feminist interventions would look at what does the woman want and not only look at it at at face value looking at it from uh, that way a woman may come and say i want to continue in the relationship and there is violence right any um a very mainstream intervention would probably only delve with the fact that she wants to be in that relationship so let's do whatever we can such that the relationship is saved Whereas a feminist intervention would look at the context first of all that violence is absolutely non-negotiable, and looking at safety of the woman within that relationship if that's what she wants, and also conveying the message in different ways about violence being non-negotiable and what are the options available to um, address redress this issue. It's not about um, so all the messaging is around. the fact that it's not her fault it's not intra it's not something that is an adjustment issue or something that she needs to compromise on not at all 
it would never be that. It would always be that violence is non-negotiable and you cannot respond in this manner. You're violating her rights. It's a very right, rights-based approach. Right. And in terms of actually intervening using this approach, how is it received? What are the, you know, is it easier? Is it harder? I haven't tried any other way. So, <laughs> so I can't compare. <laughs> but I think women appreciate it. They needn't understand these principles and the jargon around it. When I say women, I mean survivors, cutting across caste, class barriers. They appreciate um, the feminist approach because they understand that uh, here is a space which is safe for me. I can say my piece without any fear. And uh, here is someone telling me it's not my fault. Not necessarily using these terms that it's not your fault, but in the way the approach itself lets her know that there, there are people for her and this is not tolerated. This is not to be tolerated. Outside of uh, the person facing violence, it's also important to engage with uh, the other stakeholders. Stakeholders would also mean any leaders within the community. And that is the difficult part. But you do find, it's not all bad, you do find allies. It's about being persistent. Uh, it's not a one-off, so you have to keep engaging. You do see some of their views change, but at least you know that this is all within a legal framework and within a rights framework that is there to support. And it's about making all of these, it's like putting pieces of the puzzle together. And women see value in that. And in terms of has there ever been backlash from the families uh, or from, you know, the people, obviously the woman understands that she has more space here. And uh, there was something beautiful I read very recently, how a lot of this is about just giving them permission to be. And that's something that we've not received. I mean, as a woman, I can also uh, definitely uh, feel the sentiment of that. Yeah, but who is to give this permission and do we need that permission? I think it's the possibility that there is an alternative, which is what I understood with the term permission. Though I know permission is also a little wrought with power. And yeah, power. yeah, it's about allowing but I think someone. It's, the way mm. I interpreted it is less to do with power and more to do with seeing the alternative. That uh, this is not the only way for me to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not the template that I have to live my life by. There can be something else. So that. Uh, opening up the possibility absolutely and feminist interventions opens up all that possibility even with uh, unwanted pregnancies you have a possibility to not go ahead with it because that's not what you wanted anyway and it's an outcome of violence so you would work with all of that it's got it, it's about um, you do have this uh, i mean you can make an informed decision even though that decision is so difficult to make because she goes back into society and people she may have made up, uh, she may have taken a certain decision while in the space. But when she goes back out there, she's hearing these same messages that she has been hearing. And then there is fear and also doubt and guilt, all of that mixed up. So it's a very difficult decision to make. But at least you're giving the message that you, there is this option. And there is a validation that it's very difficult to choose this option also. That validation is what they appreciate. 
Absolutely. I think, yeah, that's what I could uh, relate to when I read that thing about permission, because it's a lot also about, like you said, validation. It's about, yeah, it's yeah. possible. This is also another way of doing things. And these are the things that, you know, you may be experiencing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. In terms of family backlash that you were mentioning, yeah, definitely some families, even stakeholders feel that, you know, you're out there to break families. Working with state systems itself would probably be seen as also oh, now you're part of this patriarchal setup. But you're not. You're doing your work from within. Uh, you were very clear about the lens that you were using. And if anything, you are making systems that uh, you're working with the system to make it accountable. You're not, a, it's not top down anyway, and nor have you co-opted. It's not at all top down. You're not telling them what they ought to do. They know what they need to do. You're just facilitating the process and saying, yeah, you need to do it. This is what you're here for. You're making it work. And backlash, yeah, I mean, neither feminist interventions is not about uh, saving a family, breaking a family. It's about what the woman wants. And with the understanding of how, you know, where she's coming from, what is her context. And not placing violence itself on a hierarchy that, oh, this woman has faced violence for so many years and therefore she can walk out of it because according to you, she has tried. It's not about all of that. This is the other side. Yeah, absolutely. So true because there is so much of uh, that. And I think that is like we were talking about in the beginning, that is uh, the negative connotations that is attached to feminism. I think breaking of the family is yeah. Yes, uh, yes. But that's not it's so tragic. It's mm-hmm. such yeah, yeah. It's not at all about yeah. that. Absolutely. So, and, and this is interesting to me because a person's story is attached to it. You know, having like I was telling you these questions at the beginning, right? About are you a feminist and how? What are your beliefs? Oh, you're a feminist, so you won't cook for your family. I mean, that's so absurd. Right? Yeah. I mean, I love cooking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly as long as i'm not being forced to do exactly whatever, right? as long as i have the choice and i'm doing it because i want to do exactly it, you know? and uh, to explain yeah, yeah. that cooking for your family is not inherently unfeminist you know yeah being forced to do yeah. anything is unfeminist that is the point you know, yeah yeah and expecting you to do it just because yeah. that is a problem the other uh, common thing is to uh, the misnomer around feminism is that you're anti-men yeah <laughs> why do you hate men <laughs> yeah and that's so hard because that's where being a married feminist is like people are like <laughs> you know yeah but there's lack of understanding about it, right? You're against the patriarchal system. It's not about men. In fact, men are, I mean, now there's a lot of uh, work around it also that men are also um, victims, so to speak, of these patriarchal structures. Yeah, but we do need more spaces for women and uh, people from vulnerable sections. Because then, you know, the moment I say this, there'll be 20 people saying that, oh, yeah, that's why there's violence against men and we need spaces for them. That camp is much louder. Hasn't it always been as in that way? Yeah. Yeah. Because we're so busy doing our work. We don't want to sit and argue about that. We'd rather channelize energies into doing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. And so let's talk about also now this kind of intersection between motherhood within the context of a violent relationship. 
uh, what have been your kind of learnings about it, observations from the field, how has that informed what you think about motherhood in these contexts? Violence just complicates the entire matter because um, while she may want to be a mother, uh, or she may want to um, carry on with pregnancy. This is not the way that, I mean, obviously, vi- the moment violence comes in, the dynamics changes, right? And a lot of times, pregnancies are an outcome of a lot of sexual violence also. Or the lack, I mean, or the other way around, where they're not allowed to, uh, I mean, there are forced abortions, miscarriages, there's son preference, there's violence through that. A lot of that also happening or even um, nowadays with assisted reproductive technology, this entire pressure and force of uh, and what it does to their bodies, because they have to go through all of this without having a say in the matter and being forced to then um, show that they are mothers. And once they are this entire because of this glorification of motherhood, not being able to say that this is not what I signed up for, this is not what I want to this is not who I want to be right now. At least right now, I'm not ready for it. Even when you find um, adolescents who are pregnant out of violent relationships, I'm talking only of violent relationships, even over there, this a lack of understanding that she herself falls into category of child. And you're talking of this unborn. And uh, also with glorification of motherhood comes this entire talk of the fetus itself being a child, child, child. You've personified the fetus before it is before it moves into that stage right so abortion is that much more difficult because you've already created you've made a child so language here also matters and if you see posters IEC material it's all about this uh, it's it's very um very anti-abortion in that sense and and you also see this entire advocacy around female feticide which then went against this um, conditional right to abortion also that we can get which is based on healthcare providers um, those factors which healthcare providers can use to give an abortion under the MTP Act the reason I bring up the example of adolescent girl is um, to say that how we, uh, as a society, we would expect some amount of sympathy, if not empathy, for an adolescent girl who's pregnant and that too is an outcome of sexual violence. Yet you find when this concept of motherhood kicks in, um, all of society, family is pressurizing to continue with that pregnancy and how. Right, how this entire decision is being made about um, the li- the future life of that unborn, rather than focusing on the individual. So I'm saying um, when motherhood comes in, it's devoid of any marital status also. Although initially we spoke about is the pressure higher for mar- married women, uh, we do see it this way also, where just because you're pregnant, you're expected to continue with it. Right. So in, in a sense, what you're saying is, yeah, what you're saying is motherhood becomes much more higher as compared to any other sentiment that comes yeah. from it. Yes, and, yes. Uh, that is a, the, a bow down to our protonatalist culture. Right? It's, it's kind of pronatalist of us to value that over everything. Else. Yeah, over the individual and the pain that she's going through and her empowerment process and what she wants. Absolutely. But you also see, uh, if you go back to the old days of even today posters, you have this fetus talking to the mother. 
right so again it's all it's how material is created such that you glorify motherhood and you don't allow for that decision so in that sense it's very very difficult for women in violence and also a pregnancy is seen as a safe period but you have global evidence to say that it's not a safe period it's in fact the who calls it dual vulnerability and there's a lot of violence that takes place during pregnancy and women talk about it but there is again this hope that oh if this is a boy then you know if this is a male child then the violence will stop because society is also giving into all these is giving out these messages that you know bear with it let's see let's see and it's just one issue feeding into the other and violence is being used as a tool to keep all this going right and uh, also pregnancy can be a raw time because uh, of also a pressure like we said boy preference uh, one of the things that uh, came across in uh, one of the cases i was working was this pressure from uh, obviously the boy's side to have a boy and so throughout pregnancy because you cannot legally know in india what the this is it's like a you know almost a death sentence of sort yeah 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 you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure for women it's a lot of pressure so that adds on to the pressure of pregnancy especially when you when you're one daughter or two daughter down yeah even healthcare providers have certain attitudes see after all they're also part of the same system they've also been conditioned the same way so there are those attitudes also if a woman um wants to go in for i mean she has decided about something they take into account all of this you know their sun preference attitudes come in the way of providing the intervention that they are supposed to provide and that's why i say in these professions any helping profession you can't have such a dichotomy of your uh, personal values and professional values because it is going to come in the way if you don't believe in it you're not going to provide it or even if you are aware enough and you um you're aware it would still come at the bottom of the list of options that you would provide absolutely and i think that uh, flows into the next question i wanted to ask you which is you know uh, the role that they play also one is so it's multi layered like you talked about of course they have the power to decide about uh, the domination as well but there is also a certain pressure they maintain of becoming a mother uh, right and uh, the correct age <laughs> and the the time bomb that they pretty pretty much place in the uterus of the woman and like you know okay here your time begins now uh, so do you have Uh, any more observations about that any thoughts about that and how do we even engage with them how does that look like in fact uh, we still talking of motherhood and there are so many women who have a lot of uh, reproductive health is a real thing sexual health and uh, if you visit a doctor for that first of all there's less space to discuss all of it and um, i think we were talking about it earlier and uh, pregnancy is almost uh, presented as one option to as as part of treatment that you'll get better if you get pregnant and pregnancy will solve all of this but it's fine for a woman who may even plan a pregnancy but what about those who don't want to get into that or don't want that as an option and i think people need to be or we need to be more empowered to be able to respond to healthcare providers to ask questions or to tell them very categorically that this is not an option for me what are the other options it's like you know they're giving you a certain medication and that doesn't suit you 
you would tell them right and then you would ask about others but here because of all this social pressure associated with it it's much more difficult to engage and yes healthcare providers are in that position of power when you are going in as a patient and a questioning patient is always you know then receives flack on the other side of <laughs> difficult zyada smart yeah google se sab padh ke aate <laughs> but it's good to be informed no it's good to read and go yeah. so that you can have a discussion and uh, we do have sensitive healthcare providers it's not like we don't but yeah it should be more uh, we should have more of them it shouldn't be such a rare find now it's almost you know crowdsourcing all these practitioners who are able to who are sensitive who have this understanding we need to work towards a space where we have it as the norm providers would have less of a attitude that you know aligns with the larger patriarchal system but shockingly so i've come across instances where they are even more vigorous and proper yeah. in the same systems you know and this entire thing about uh, marriage counseling looking like just listen to your husband and yeah in fact in a violent relationship you can't even have i mean family therapy while family counseling all that can actually happen when you are equal when you are already in an unequal relationship you need to recognize that and move with that understanding and that's what mainstream does not do that's why you even have practitioners practicing conversion therapy where they are against homosexuality and they are homophobic right absolutely uh, completely agree and that's where i feel you know i agree with that bit and sometimes just seeking out help can be such a process you know then when you seek it out already in an unequal relationship and you have someone who unfortunately is aligning with the larger system and hence automatically against the woman uh, can get really frustrating to even witness or hear about you know uh, and yeah that's why this is one of my larger objectives to work with the medical and uh, mental health fraternity yeah and as it is seeking help for mental health itself is so stigmatized even today although i mean we are moving ahead but still and then if you have practitioners who are like this then you're pushing away this whole gamut of people who want to seek help absolutely so yeah finally i have one uh, last question for you athletes but i know you've been working for a long time in this area and obviously there would have been many moments that you know move you or stay with you any single such thing you'd like to share with us that you know stayed with you uh, any story any transformation single story is very difficult <laughs> it's <laughs> it's multiple stories and their lives and the way they've also taken decisions despite i mean these are all survival narratives and that's what keeps me grounded there's the way they move on but i've seen it being so difficult for some people 
it's very empowering also but when it comes to um, say adolescent girls it it becomes that much i wouldn't say more but it is i mean they are vulnerable for instance i mean just there was this particular adolescent who um, had been sexually abused and you know there was a pregnancy out of that and um, somehow that time limit did not allow for an abortion and um, the parents eventually understood that they do need to provide support all of that but uh, eventually there was talk within family of giving up the uh, baby once it's born for adoption within the family you know so this is how it gets so difficult it's it's never stopping for that person who is in this violence or trying to get out of that violent relationship and this is just one there are so many women like that but it's also very empowering i don't want to portray this very helpless picture of uh, women because it's not at all like that they're very yeah yeah we also see them in that distress situation right that's not completely who they are and there are beautiful transformative stories which uh, which i mean which even i i also take from right they're also giving back as much as yeah as much as we think we are giving it's also about taking on and it it molds you as a person it shapes you and the best part is neither knows that they made such a big difference <laughs> yeah yeah it's all very inside and yeah, that was the last thing i wanted to kind of also know because uh, i remember very early on in my career uh, i started working with state systems and there was someone who was a mentor who told me pretty directly that you know don't go down this path it's it's disappointing you won't make any change and i think that has to be of and the most discouraging piece of advice i ever received uh but um, having been here now for 10 years i see what he was talking about but uh, i also like kind of you know like to keep looking at what are the things that keep us going you talked about persistency in working with the state systems uh you know what is uh, the thing that keeps you going or what is the thing that makes you uh, want to go back and keep on working uh, on these issues what are the things that give you that source of energy hands down survivors hands down it's it's the way i mean it's their persistence and their uh, wanting to fight the battle and the way they do it how can we give up if they haven't i mean if if they believe that it's their right and the courts have to respond police has to respond hospitals should then who are we to say that these systems aren't going to work right absolutely i think i found that beautiful arti they can't give up on me who are we to right absolutely right thank you so much for all of your generous time sharing of your uh-huh. thoughts and just generally being you <laughs> Thank you Veena it's been lovely i mean it it makes me also think a lot about the way you've been asking questions right it's a very reflective process for me also <laughs> no matter how much you think or uh, you know you thought it through and you think you're going to come in prepared you're not prepared right it's very reflective <laughs> right yeah absolutely but i think you've been very gracious through it all and uh... like i said very generous with your time but here's hoping this is not the last time we get you on here 
uh, there's still i know it was hard for us to even settle down on to you know okay we're just going to talk about <laughs> this thing and not you know uh, want to spread out too thin but it's been an absolute pleasure and we hope to have you back on this podcast soon looking forward <laughs> thank you so much aarti thanks really